Thank you for listening to the preaching ministry of Oxford Baptist Church with our pastor, Andy Brown. We pray you'll be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. The 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Now, of course, the 500th anniversary, the specific date of that was October the 31st. 1517. And so this is, of course, we celebrated last week, October the 31st, 2017. It's been 500 years since the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. And it's important for us to think about it that way. What happened on October the 31st in 1517 when an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis on the uh, door of the Wittenberg Church in Germany. That was simply the beginning of the protest. And in many ways, the Reformation is ongoing. And, matter-of-factly, the Reformation will be continual until Christ comes. You say, well, there's no end to this thing. Oh, yes, there is. We're just not there yet. We're continuing our process of being conformed into the image of the likeness of Christ. And this is why we can say that the Reformation is ongoing. It had a start, we could say, and it is ongoing. We can be certain of this due to the very substance of the Reformation. The Reformation was about the Word of God, going back to the Word of God. So the Reformation is ongoing because we are always conforming ourselves to the Word of God. Our church is always conforming herself to the Word of God. Ourselves, individually. We are always, with every new morning when His mercies are new, we are always conforming ourselves to His Word. Now, I want to celebrate the Protestant Reformation a little bit because of this. The Reformation was a recovery of the gospel of grace. A recovery of the good news of God's salvation for us. So I want to do something over the next few weeks just to give you a sort of a snapshot of sort of where we're going here. This is again sort of the way the Lord's been leading the series all throughout this. We, I was just going to celebrate the Reformation just in October and then we we're going to move on. But here's what I want to do. I want to extend our series concerning the Reformation for the next three weeks. And it's really beautiful if you think about it. Hopefully I'll be able to communicate this and it'll make sense. We're coming off the heels of last week. And last week we looked at the fifth and final sola, that is the sole deo gloria. So that is to God alone be the glory. And here's what I want to ask the question. As we come off the heels of that, beginning this new little three-week sort of postscript appendix series, I want us to look at what kind of difference the good news of God's salvation makes in our life. And I guess you could say, I want us together as a congregation to answer the so what question. So what? So uh, we'll look at three areas over these three weeks. The first, we're going to look at our attitude. The second, we're going to look at our expectations. And then next, we're going to look at our every endeavor. So we're going to look first at this gospel-centered disposition that carries all of our life. The next, we're going to look at our expectation, especially during the worship service. You'll notice that this is the first Sunday of the month, and we don't have the Lord's Supper today. We're going to celebrate that next week because we're going to be talking about our expectations in worship service next week. And then 
After that, the third and final way to wrap it up, we're going to look at what difference the Reformation, the good news of God's free salvation in Christ, makes in our every endeavor, that is, as we fulfill the Great Commission to go make disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's sort of where we're going. And then we'll come into Advent. I've got a great Advent series coming for you, looking at Luke 2 in the temple. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself already. Take your Bible this morning and turn to the book of First Peter. No surprise, right? First Peter. We're going to go back to First Peter. What I've tried to do this entire time is I've tried to show you that these truths that we celebrate that are so foundational are not something that we're reading into the text. They're something that arise from the text. And so look at First Peter. We've been looking at First Peter. Remember, we spent uh, several weeks there in First Peter 3 through 12. And for these next weeks that we have here, I want us to round out the remainder of chapter 1 and then move into chapter 2. But today, for our purposes... I want us to begin in 1 Peter chapter 1 and look in verse 13 through 21. So hear the word of the Lord today. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him, are believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the transforming power of grace. Thank You that You have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the beloved kingdom of your Son, Jesus Christ. Now, Father, as we attend our minds to this moment of preaching, as we look at your word, I pray the Holy Spirit would be with us, that we would learn full obedience, and that we would feel you already now beginning to warm our hearts with the fullness of your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people said, Amen. So what difference does the glorious salvation of Jesus make? Now, let's make sure we're understanding what we mean by saying such a phrase like glorious salvation of Jesus. That's, that's very flowerly, isn't it? It sounds sort of prestigious. Let's make sure that we understand what we mean when, when we ask the question, what difference does the glorious salvation of Christ? When we ask what difference this makes, we are asking this. Listen carefully. What does the purpose and plan 
of God's free gift of grace to save sin-enslaved sinners make? That's what we're asking. That's what we mean when we talk about this glory of salvation. We want to talk about this purpose and plan of God that He purposed before creation to bring many sons to glory. That's you, that's me, that's all of us who by faith trust in Jesus. So what difference does it make? The short answer is everything, right? Amen. Close your Bibles. Let's pray. Have a great day. That's the, that's the short answer. What difference does it make? It makes every bit of a difference. But you and I, we know that we have to be much more specific than that. The Bible doesn't open up and say, love Jesus with all your heart. Amen. Although that takes a lot for us to live up to, it tells us how and what that means. So what difference does it make? It makes everything. But we have to be a little more specific this morning. And I hope that you are considering the difference that the gospel makes. I hope this morning that really you've heard the good gospel of grace and not some other false gospel of works or legalism or do this and be better. I hope this morning that you understand and have heard the gospel of grace. I hope that everyone within the sound of my voice understands that the gospel has bearings, has implications for every part of your life. Now, here's what I'm convinced of as a pastor who, who deals with uh, individuals who come with questions and who just has a the vantage point of watching. And, and one of the things that I get to do before the Lord is pray for you. And I love praying for you. And I pray for you specifically and sometimes. And here's, here's one of the things that, and, that I'm convinced. Many treat salvation as if it was just simply a one-time deal. Now, is it a one-time deal? Oh, yeah, it is. Paid in full by the cross. We understand those things, my sin, not in part, but the whole. But is it just simply a one-time deal? Or at worst, individuals treat salvation like it's a one-time-a-week deal. Come to church, feel good for a moment, but then you just still, the rest of the week, you're trapped by lust or anger or greed or fear, whatever it may be. You're not living in the light of the glorious salvation that Christ has given us. So we treat it like a one-week kind of deal. We sort of come to church on Sunday, get inoculated. Oh, we feel good about ourselves. Then the rest of the week, well, by Wednesday, we're waning, so we've got to come back to church, right? Get another shot in the arm. Or, you know, some of you don't need shots in the arm, period. You just treat salvation like it's just a one-time, one-week deal. And here's one of the hallmarks of the Reformation that I want to talk to you about today. One of the hallmarks of the Reformation was to cast despair on the Roman Catholic idea of penance. They wanted to swing the pendulum back from the Roman Catholic idea of penance to the gospel-centered idea of repentance. So we have penance and repentance. What's the difference? The difference is a living a life motivated by the kindness of God that's pleasing to God, and then the other life works hard to please God and just finds itself always failing. You see how uh, Roman Catholic, many Baptists that you may know still are? They want the feel good. They want the one-time transaction kind of thing. But then after that, it's not this life that's centered on the gospel. It's the gospel plus my life, not my life is the gospel. Luther said that he had to preach 
justification by faith alone. And that is this radical idea that is from the text that was lost for many hundreds of years. He said that he had to preach this justification by faith alone. That is the gospel of grace. He had to teach that to his people each week because they forgot it. You know, I would say to Dr. Luther, and he'd agree with me, I think, that we don't just need this message just on Sundays. We need it every day. That you are justified with God. You are in a right standing with God, not because of anything that you can do, beloved, but all based upon what He has done for you. That's why you're right with God. You don't act better to be accepted. You're accepted because of Christ. And therefore, you act better. Understand the difference. I want you to see the difference between the gospel bringing about only a temporary change and the gospel bringing about this forever and definitive change. And listen to me carefully. One enslaves and is not the gospel. The other liberates, gives you freedom. And it is good news. And so let's talk about it. Let's make this point clear. I want you to get it. The temporary change is summed up like this. Here's the temporary. If I do more, God will be pleased with me. If I read my Bible a little more, if I pray a little longer, if I come to church and spend, maybe I volunteer for every activity the church has, God's going to be pleased with me. You know what that is? That's penance. That's Roman Catholicism. Versus what I'm trying to communicate to you today, listen to the difference. Because of Christ, God is pleased with me. Now, I do what I do in light of knowing that I'm already satisfied in God's eyes. I already have His satisfaction upon me. So you know what that does? That love compels us. It drives us. It gives us confidence. Not shrinking back, not despairing. But because I'm satisfied in Christ, now I'm going to live this way. One is driven by external ritual. Come to church. Read your Bible. Whatever else. Give money. The other is driven by internal renewal. What's on the inside is going to show up on the outside. This is why people that treat the gospel as it's just mere ritual, they have a faith and then they fizzle out, then they have faith and then they fizzle out, then they have faith and they fizzle out, then they have faith and then they fizzle out. And we see them time and time again, you know. That's the difference. One is driven by external ritual, the other by internal renewal. Listen to the first three of Luther's 95 theses. Listen to the first three. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Listen to number two. This word cannot be understood as referring to the sacrament of penance. That is, confession and satisfaction as administered by the clergy. Number three. Yet it does not mean solely inner repentance. Such inner repentance is worthless unless it produces various outward mortification of the flesh. Listen closely to me. Maybe if I say it this way, maybe we'll all get it together. Listen. The hope of the gospel 
is not to make bad people good. The hope of the gospel is to make dead people live. That's the gospel. Look at your text. Look at the Bible. Look at how verse 13 begins. I want you to see this. You see that first word there? I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Your version should have something like mine if you don't have the ESV. Though, uh, it'd be good for you to get it so that way we can follow along all together. But anyway, you prefer what you prefer. But look at the first word. Therefore. Do you see that? Now, that word is always, whenever you read your Bible, that word, therefore, is always, therefore, a reason. That word is a connecting word. And you know what it's connecting to? I want to show you this. It's always a connecting word. And I want to draw your attention to the what it connects to. Because, listen, what it connects to is the very heartbeat of the gospel of grace. Take your finger. Do this. When we follow the lifeline back, we notice that the first word of verse 13, therefore, you know what it connects to? Everything that came before it in 3 through 12. So we all remember, right, from our studies the past few weeks, 3 through 12 is just one long sentence. It's just one long sentence in the Greek. Even though it's verse 3 through 12, it's really just one long sentence. And so the first word that comes next is therefore. You know what that therefore is there for? It's there connecting everything that Peter has said from the beginning. And where did he start? He started in verse 3. What's he start with in verse 3? Blessedness. Do you see that? Blessed be who? The author and finisher of our faith, God. Where's our focus then automatically? The focus is automatically on who God is and what He's done. Listen, the gospel indicative, listen to this carefully. The gospel indicative, that is the realities that are now true of us on account of what Christ has done for us. That's the indicative, that's who we are, compels, or maybe we should say it propels all of our actions. Don't get those confused. If I behave more, then Christ will love me. That's imperative before indicative. That's not the heartbeat of the gospel. The heartbeat of the gospel is, this is what's true in Christ, therefore live this way. You can't live a life pleasing to Christ unless you understand the gospel imperative. And here's the, here's the reason I say this. If you're, if you're living this way, trying to think that you have to earn the credit and pleasure of God, then you're going to live a life of displeasure and dissatisfaction. Because you're never going to make it. But if you look to Christ, then you'll understand that because the wrath of God has been satisfied in Christ, therefore you are in Christ and you are the satisfaction of God. You know what that does? Now, that doesn't mean, you know, go out and live live like you want to, live like the devil, please. The de- no, no, no. You don't understand the gospel. Peter's going to tell his people a little later on, don't, don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. That's not what I'm saying. Use your freedom for good so that you can glorify God. It's Listen, it's always the indicatives, the realities of who we are in Christ, before the imperatives. It's always who we are before what we do. Never the opposite. The gospel of grace is radical and transforming. The love of Christ, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, is what compels us, what controls us, what constrains us, what binds our hearts to do His will. 
So let's follow the text together. Let's, let's just connect verse 3 and verse 12. Let's do this. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's amazing. Now look at verse 12. Therefore, preparing your minds for action... Being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Who we are, what we do. Who we are, and by the way, this is my challenge to you. You show me one place in the Bible where it doesn't say it like that. One place. The who we are in Christ always comes before what we do. Always. Maybe that's your challenge for the rest of our time together. You come up to me on Wednesday night or next Sunday and you tell me, Pastor, I found one where he said, do this. And then he said, because of this, you won't find it. It's not there. And I want you to get this point. The what has been accomplished for us so that who we are is mentioned first, which leads to what we do. The who we are has been accomplished, so the what is now what we do. You understand that? The what has been accomplished so that the who we are is mentioned first, which leads into what we do. As Francis Schaeffer famously asked, how should we then live? In light of all this, how should we now live? Our disposition is always one of responding to the gospel of grace. That's all we can do is respond. He always takes the initiative. Now we just humbly submit to that initiative and respond to the gospel of grace. And listen carefully. Listen. If we don't get this right, then we lose the gospel. You don't have to clean up before you come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, He'll clean you up. If we lose that, we lose the very heartbeat for His coming. Listen. We are made right with God. We are justified because of Christ's work for us. Period. There's a guy named Paul. You've all heard of Paul, right? Paul, he, uh, he wrote a letter to the church in Galatia. I think he said it best. Listen to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Listen to what he said. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. You know what that is? That's indicative. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in us. Indicative. And listen to what he says next. The life that I now live. He's going into the imperative. He lives in the flesh in faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. Do you hear that? The imperative is important. The what we do is important. But it always follows something. It doesn't proceed. It follows. It follows the what Christ has done before we can even ask what should we do. Listen to me carefully. Our devotion to Christ is always the consequence and not the cause of justification. Our devotion to Christ is always the consequence and never the cause of our justification. This is the heartbeat of the gospel, the heartbeat of the Christian religion, and this is the heartbeat that the Reformation sought to recapture from Roman Catholicism. And this is what this gospel preacher gets to do continually, is to, listen, 
preach the gospel to himself so that I'll believe it. And then preach it to you so that we'll believe it together. We will live a life of radical transformation. Live a life so compelled by the gospel, so satisfied in Christ, that nothing else matters. You see, listen, and I said this last week, but I want to say it again. The real controversy of the Reformation is not Scripture, it's not Christ, it's not grace, it's not faith, it's not God's glory. The real controversy is a single word that puts all of them together, alone. And probably justification by faith alone is the one that even some of you struggle with. And some may say, Pastor, you know, we've been listening to you for the past five weeks, and you've made a lot of stuff about that one word alone, and some of you may accuse me of of making a mountain out of a molehill. Is it really that important for us to look at that one word alone? But this is what I want to hopefully do today, is I hope that we will learn together to see the importance of this gospel-centered disposition that God wants us to have. Listen, it's both life and the way of life. Understand? It's both life when there was none, and that one defining moment marks every moment in our life. I had one of those moments almost ten years ago pretty little blonde girl came and married this boy down in the middle of an aisle. You know what? That one moment when my wife married me, that one moment has marked every moment in my life ever since. I hadn't gotten over it. I love you. I don't ever want to get over it. Let's be honest. Really, the moment was marked for me before then when I first saw her sitting in her dorm room. But anyway, that's another story for another day. That one moment has defined every moment in my life. And then then we started having life together, right? Then all of a sudden the babies came. And my goodness, if I wasn't sealed before then, I am now. I am now. So does it really matter? Is that one word worth all this controversy? One word. Is it worth all the controversy? So, So let's do this. Let's make it more personal to see whether or not this one word is worth all the controversy. Would you say that a truthful question to these, to this question matters? What happens to me when I die? What about this one? How can I be made right with God? Or, can I have any assurance of salvation? Can I ever lose my salvation? Do any of those questions matter? And if you answer yes to any of those questions, then the one word alone matters. Listen to me. The Bible is more than a book of morals. Christ is more than someone worth imitating. An example to follow. The Bible is a book of salvation and Christ is our Savior and Lord who has accomplished what we were left incapable of accomplishing ourselves. And His accomplishment, listen, His accomplishment is the hope of the world. It is my hope. It is your hope. It is our hope together. And this Christ who came and accomplished this and given us this and given His Spirit and sealed us by His Spirit and given these apostles to go out and and, uh, strengthen others and write letters and establish churches and that gospel that was preached in Jerusalem has reached even all the way over here to Oxford, Georgia. God wants us to have this hope. He wants us to go through all of life with 
this hope. He wants us to live a life full of hope. Not just a hope for a moment. Not just a hope for maybe a week or every other week or once a month. He wants us to have this hope. A hope-filled life. And this is the gospel. This is the message that Peter is telling his people this morning. So very briefly, what I want to do is I'm going to give you, like I said briefly, three truths from this text that show you that Christ is calling us to a life full of hope. Now, I'm going to speak fast. You write fast. We'll be fine. Number one, Christ has given us a life of hope. That's number one. I love the way it begins. There again, let me say this point again because it's worth repeating, and I'm going to repeat it next week and the week after and the week after Verse 13 links what Christ has done for us and shows us what we are now to do. This is the work of God in Christ to give us life so that we can live. So very quickly, Peter wants us to know that the salvation that God has secured for us means that you and I need to get to it. We need to go with it. We need to get to it. Get get to living this life that He's called us to. And from the text there's, there's so much that He's called us to. Look at what He says. The first thing that He says is, is God calling us to prepare our minds for action. Do you see that? Now, don't miss that. Therefore, it's, and then He's going to say, get busy. Here's what God has done. Wake up. He's stirring our affections. He wants us to live in the light of this grace. Wake up. First thing He says, prepare our minds for action. Literally, what that means is to gird up our loins. This term is our way of saying to roll up your sleeves. Get after it. It's the same way of of speaking that God gave to the Jews when He was about to deliver them from Egypt. Here He was fixing to deliver them, and He says, prepare your minds for action. Gird up your loins. Get ready, boys. You're fixing to have to run away. Get ready. Roll up the sleeves. Don't waste any time. Instead, get to work. Then what does Peter say? He says next in verse 13, be sober-minded. What does that mean? Well, the rest of the verse tells us. Don't be fooled by the trickery of the world that lives for fleeting moments. Instead, live in the light of eternity today. And the last of Peter's commands, look at what he says. Is The last one really says it best. Look at what he says. As obedient children. Now that one really sets our focus. As obedient children. Now, I want to come back to that in the second point, but let me just say for now, remember the words of Christ. Twice in Matthew, one in chapter 18 and then in chapter 19, Jesus says that the way we come to Him is by coming to Him as little children. What on earth does this mean? You ever thought about that? What does it mean to come to God as a little child? If we are going to be children of God, then as children of God, we are characterized by one thing. And you know what that one thing is? Obedience. The root of delightful obedience, you know what it is? It's trust. Believe. Trust. Before we move on to our second point in the rest of the verses, let me just say this. And I can't emphasize this point enough. Our life is a response to His grace. Everything that we do is in response to His initiative. Look back at verse 5. Let me show this to you. Look at verse 5. God's power is guarding us, it says, 
But it's guarding us in a certain way. Do you see it there in your Bible? Which way is God guarding us? One word. Look at that. Through faith. So that asks the question, what on earth is faith? If God's power, if we're responding, if our response to God's power is faith, then what on earth is faith? Listen. Faith is the firm belief in what God says above what we may see or feel. Faith is the undercurrent of our life that keeps pulling us out to the eternal sea of God's joy. That's what faith is. Faith is not something that's inanimate. Faith is something that lives. It's something that breathes. This is why Peter says, get busy. Live like you are. A person who's dead doesn't breathe. A person that lives, you know what they do? They do a lot of things. Well, one of the things they do is they breathe. Their heart beats. Peter says, you're alive now. Act like you're alive. Quit going and messing around in the tombs of the world. You don't belong there anymore. Live among the living. Call the dead to life. Listen to the verse from Ephesians. Listen to what it says. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And I know you know this verse, probably most of you do, but listen to it. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. And then listen to the next verse. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That one verse captures this thought very well. Christ has given us life, and in this life we hope. In this life, we hope. So what does that mean? Hope then, listen carefully, hope is our way of life. This morning, beloved, because Christ has ransomed you, rescued you, and made you His very own, this morning, we get to live a life full of hope. And that's good news. And this morning, if you don't know Jesus, listen to me carefully, you get to live a life filled full of hope. This is the good news of the gospel, that you get to live. Hope is here. Hope has risen with healing in its wings, and His name is Jesus. You get to trust Him. You get to believe in Him. You get to be His forever. And this hope keeps getting better. The news keeps getting better. Look at verse 17. Look at verse 17 now. If you're looking at 17, probably that word at first glance is going to send a shiver down your spine. This idea of God judging and all this. And I think that it should. The idea that one day we're going to face God in judgment should send a shiver down our spine. But listen, that's not all it should do. Look at verse 17. If you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. That should send a shiver down our spine. But this morning, listen to me carefully. We are not talking about duty. We're talking about delight. Listen to the way First John encourages his church. He says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves Whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. And then listen to what he says. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And then listen to the next phrase that he says. And His commandments are not burdensome. 
You know why they're not burdensome? Verses 17 through 19a give us joy because you know what they remind us of? They remind us, number two this morning, that hope has come right in the midst of hopelessness. We were dead in our sins, in the uncircumcision of our flesh, the Bible says. And God has come seeking and saving us. God has come rescuing us, ransoming us, redeeming us. Remember, 17, the thought of verse 17, it flows from verse 13. And what does 13 say? It begins with this phrase, obedient children. And you know what it does? It confronts us with a a new way of thinking. What does that mean? It means that there was a formal way that we used to think. When the formal way of thinking that we all had, a, a way that Scripture calls time and time again, it uses a word to refer to our former state. And the former state is ignorance. Who in their right mind likes to be called ignorant? No one. That term is a term of disdain. You don't like to be called ignorant. Matter of fact, that word is the root word from where we get the word agnostic from. Who is an agnostic? You know what an agnostic is? An agnostic is one who doesn't know. They're ignorant. And that doesn't mean that they're excused. It just means that they live their life without knowledge. And that's not a good way to live. Living life without knowledge, I'd say that's a scary way to live. And so in contrast to ignorance, look at what we know. Look at what God has given us. We know we have one in heaven that we get to call Father. Look at the Bible. And this fact both comforts us and centers us. Now, it's comforting to call Him Father. And it centers us to know that the one that we're calling Father, He is the Lord and the Judge of the universe. There is both an approachableness as well as a reverence with God that we'll carry with us forever. And this awesome God, He's called us to Himself to be His. Look at what the Bible says. He's called us to be holy just as He is holy. He's called us to have our temporary lives now imitate the eternity until finally He comes and transforms the temporary into the eternal. And we're always aware of that. And that fact always controls us. And until He comes, we're waiting for Him and trusting Him. We're worshiping Him. We're fearing Him. And, and really, if we really believe that, then our lives prove it. Because we're His. Now, this is our motivation. Look at verse 18 and 19. Look at verse 18. This is our motivation for being holy just as He's holy. Look at 18 and 19. We have been ransomed. Do you see that? Again, that's a reference back to the Exodus. Where God redeemed His people from the bondage of slavery. But this time, look at the text. Our redemption came at a great cost. What did it cost for God to buy our freedom, to gain our freedom? The precious and spotless blood of the Lamb. What on earth were we ransomed from? Don't miss this. We were ransomed from a hopeless life to a life filled with hope. Listen, this is our message. Hope. The Christian message. 
the message we preach to the world is hope. And look at how God has secured our hope. Look at what He's done. The sending of the Son to die and be raised again. Christ, listen, He's both the securer of our hope and the centerpiece of our hope. He's both. He's the one who secured it, and it's all about Him. He's the securer and the centerpiece. Christ has both given us life, and Christ is our life. And number three this morning, we hope in His glory. Look at verse 20 and 21. It's like Peter can't get over talking about Jesus. Don't you love that? Is that true in your life? That you just can't get over talking about Jesus? The early church, you know what they used to call the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The early church, we're talking after the apostles. The early church used to call the Gospels the memoirs of the apostles. I love that. Jesus has come. Death has lost. Life has won. No wonder they couldn't get over Him. How could anyone get over Him if they ever knew Him? My great-grandmother was Lena Williams Haney. She was born in 1900 and she died in 1992. I remember my grandmother a little bit. She was a God-fearing woman who used to call me a tadpole. I remember that. She used to give me whatever she had in her purse, change, whatever it was. But the most thing that I remember about my Mulhaney was that she was a God-fearing woman that when she prayed, she could rattle the windows of a house. Not because of her loud voice. She was a small woman. Because when she prayed, she prayed like she believed in what she was saying. In 1901, she traveled from Oklahoma to Monroe, Louisiana, all by a covered wagon. And she boarded a train and headed to a little town called Noonan, Georgia, where she and her family settled. One day, my mother was going through a trying time, and Mulhenny came to my mother, and she said, Honey, do you know Jesus? My mother said, Mulhenny, I used to know Jesus, but I'm just not sure anymore. Mulhenny looked at my mother and said, Oh, honey, if you ever knew him, you'll always know him. Isn't that true? Listen to the verse again. Look, start at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, through him, are believers in God who raised him from the dead. And look at this, listen, and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. It's all about Jesus. Jesus has come to give us this gospel disposition. 
When we raise our hands to God, we know we can bring nothing but empty hands to Him. Listen to me this morning. If you are hoping in His glory, let me say it the other way. If you are not hoping in His glory, then you have no hope at all. But if you are hoping in His glory, you have all the hope in the world. You know what the difference is? Jesus. Jesus. Simply Jesus. And oh, what a hope we have who are in Jesus. The hope of glory. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for giving us this life full of hope. And Lord, please, let us live this way. Let us realize this morning that because of Christ, we are your satisfaction. And you are satisfied in us. Now, Father, help us to learn to live satisfied in Christ. This is only accomplished by your power in us. So right now we submit to you, asking you to deal kindly with us according to your great mercy. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. We pray God will use this message for His glory in your life. If you would like more information, please feel free to contact us at info at oxfordbaptistchurch.com. Oxford Baptist Church is located in Oxford, Georgia. If you're close, we'd love to meet you.